0: Happy Friday, folks. Senior Editor Mackenzie Taylor here on the Texans Weekly Roundup Podcast. This week, the team discusses all things Roe v. Wade, giving you the full rundown, breaking down the Dobbs decision, abortion clinics halting abortions in Texas, a judge blocking DAs from enforcing bans, the Texas Democratic Party calling on local officials not to enforce pro-life laws, and Texas lawmakers preparing relevant bills ahead of the 2023 legislative session. Plus, a Texas GOP nominee is indicted. State officials announce school safety funding. Dozens of corpses are found in a tractor trailer in an apparent human smuggling attempt. Updates on the lawsuit against Title 42 and Biden and Abbott spar on energy. As always, if you have questions for our team, DM us on Twitter or email us at editor at the Texan.news. We'd love to answer your questions on a future podcast. Thanks for listening and enjoy this episode. Well, howdy, folks. Mackenzie Taylor here with Hayden Sparks, Isaiah Mitchell, and Brad Johnson. I'm still getting used to Daniel not being on the podcast. It hasn't sunk in for me yet.
1: It's weird. But you also yeah. get your own
0: mic, which is kind of a sweet deal.
1: Yeah, I'd say, um, you know, there's a silver lining.
0: <laughs> a pretty dramatic one for you. Sometimes it
1: feels like he's he's still here. Yeah. Like I can still hear him.
0: Like he just poked his head in two seconds ago.
1: That felt really real. Yeah, it did. Yeah.
0: And if we both saw it, then that must mean something.
1: Oh, you, you saw him, too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Brad, how are you today?
2: Just peachy.
0: Well, good. Winston is here, which makes me happy. And I was singing a song to him earlier. I won't sing it on the pod. Okay, <laughs> thankfully. <you, please> <laughs> <laughs> but he is here and that does make me happy. It was a play on the Gaston song from Beauty and the Beast. Yes. Winston, Gaston, you know what I mean. I'm glad we could share that with our listeners. <laughs> Isaiah, we're gonna go ahead and jump into the news with you. Um Huge news, long-awaited news after the leak of the Supreme Court opinion. Um, Roe was overturned this week, Roe v. Wade, or last Friday, rather, a week from when this podcast will be released. Let's first, why don't you just go over the Dobbs opinion before we jump into everything else?
1: Yeah, so it regards the constitutionality of the Roe v. Wade decision pretty centrally. And one reason why that's important is because, well, the law at issue in the case is a Mississippi law that, that bans abortion after 15 weeks of gestation, and that's it. And so you might compare that to in Texas, where um, Texas the Texas legislature had, has kind of nibbled at the edges of the Roe v Wade decision uh, instead of that direct refutation that you saw from Mississippi. And so in Texas, um, you know, for example, the whole women's health case that went to the Supreme Court involved a law that required abortion doctors to have admitting privileges at a nearby clinic, things like that. Um, we passed a ban on dismembered abortions. I believe in that that same, no, it was a session after that one. Um, They went to the fifth circuit and I mean, the one in everyone's mind right now is the heartbeat act, which uh, is enforced by civil lawsuits, things like that. And so the Mississippi law was uh, more, was I guess more direct. That's the only way to put it uh, a direct refutation of Roe. And their only defense was asking the Supreme court to just flat out overturn Roe. And so, The Dobbs opinion does not ban abortion, overturning Roe did not ban abortion and it does not reverse other Supreme Court cases regarding substantive due process. And we won't get into that because I'm not a legal expert. Um, You saw a lot of stuff on Twitter saying, oh, they're gonna go after substantive due process and regarding other cases like Loving versus Virginia or Grizzle versus Connecticut, which is one of the cases that undergirded Roe. Um, But the majority opinion explicitly separated those cases from this one because as they said none of those laws involved what they called the state's interest to protect in quotes potential life so the ethical issue of ending life was not at the center of those other cases which is a huge material difference that the supreme court recognized justice thomas is the only one who said that we should also look at um substance of due process in other cases but he's been saying that for a very long time if anybody's fault anybody's fault the court can can see i mean that's he's been riding alone on that for years that uh, the whole substance of due process doctrine in his argument is, is not legitimate but the job's opinion you know overturns roe um only regards the constitutionality of that case in mississippi's law um so that's the general meat and potatoes of it but.
0: there you go so we've talked about these laws before and several were passed this last legislative session, particularly that we we've talked about it at length on the podcast. But how do these bans that you've talked about work here in Texas specifically?
1: Yeah, so Texas has two. Um, we have discussed these before. One of them is called the Human Life Protection Act. There were a lot of states that passed their own Human Life Protection Acts. Uh, they're colloquially called trigger bans, and they kick in after Roe v. Wade in the event that Roe v Wade is overturned, right? Which it was. And so in some of these laws in the other states took effect immediately. In Texas, this is gonna take effect 30 days after the Supreme Court issues its judgment, so not the opinion itself. And the other abortion ban that we have on the books is the one that was actually at the center of the Roe v Wade lawsuit uh, that started in Dallas County. And it's a ban passed in 1925 that is is just a total ban on elective abortions. And it punishes, uh, the administration of a drug to procure miscarriage or the intentional, like, surgical, intentional surgical abortions just meant to end fetal life. Uh, it punishes both of those with two to five years in prison or four to 10 years in prison if those are done without the mother's consent. So those are the two bans. Once Dobbs, the Dobbs opinion got released, Attorney General Ken Paxton said that the older ban is immediately enforceable because it was never repealed and Later on in the podcast, we'll we'll get to that and some more details on that. But um, so that one regained effect because the only thing that was keeping it from being effective was Roe v. Wade. So
0: got it. Well, thank you for clarifying that for us. Do these bans, how do they affect the mother in this instance?
1: Yeah, I forgot to mention um, neither of these bans punish or impose penalties on the mother. The heartbeat act, you know not so relevant at this point anymore but the heartbeat act does not impose penalties on the mother does not allow lawsuits against the mother there's no texas law that allows for any kind of a penalty against the mother that seeks an abortion or attempts to seek an abortion i mean that's not in texas law i um i spent a lot of time trolling through the laws of other states uh mainly with an eye on how they apply to ectopic pregnancies and miscarriages since there has been
3: A a lot of talk
1: a lot of um there's there's really no other way to say it. a lot of falsehood about uh how those procedures are affected and every single state's abortion ban every state that has an abortion ban either defines abortion to not include ectopic pregnancies or miscarriages or explicitly allows them in their texts so to say that less cumbersomely treatments for ectopic pregnancies or evacuations of stillborn children are legal everywhere in America. Only procedures that end the end that achieve fetal demise to use the legal terminology are illegal in states that have chosen to ban them. So which
0: many states have not
1: many states have not. Um, But any, I I went through the laws of all the states that either has had trigger bans passed or had uh, abortion bans before, The Roe v. Wade decision came out in 1973 that have now since regained effect, like in Texas, and none of those laws outlaw the evacuation of an ectopic pregnancy or a miscarriage. That is legal everywhere. So um, you can go to my Twitter page if you don't believe me. Um, Don't take my word for it. I just included screenshots and links to all the statutes or bill texts of all these states' laws and bills. So...
2: Go take a look at that if, if you don't believe me
0: but. you're merely compiling the statutes and yes. giving information to folks absolutely it's a yeah. great thread make sure to go check it out
2: how many other reporters say don't take my word for it read the
0: actual I, I <laughs> well, They all say
2: that brad they, they say uh, experts agree oh yes <laughs> the experts they all agree <laughs> on yeah
1: the same thing yep. yeah and experts agree that people are afraid to get miscarriage treatment if i convince them to be afraid of it you know <laughs> so yeah, take that into consideration, Brad. But I'll
2: file <laughs> yeah. it under things I will take under consideration. Yeah, <laughs> good job.
0: <laughs> that was a good bit, you guys. Well done, clap clap. But Isaiah, really, thank you for your coverage of this. Um, there are very few reporters in the state. I don't think there are really another. There isn't really another reporter in the state doing what you're doing on this issue. So thank you for clarifying that for us and following this um, from the get go. Hayden, we're going to jump to you, my friend. Uh, You jumped in on this row coverage as well, and wrote a great piece as you reached out to um, abortion clinics in Texas. How quickly did these abortion clinics close after the announcement of the Dobbs decision?
3: Well, when I woke up on Friday morning, I did not expect to start out the day by cold calling abortion clinics, but you have to be prepared for (laughs) lots of weird things when you're covering these issues. And I want to just repeat what you said and and recognize Isaiah for his excellent coverage on this. I'm actually in Tyler right now. And last night there was a pro-choice demonstration in a major park in Tyler and somebody was holding up a sign that was critical of SB8. And a lot of these nuances get lost. And one of the things Isaiah mentioned that's important is SB8 being less relevant now than the Human Life Protection Act and some of these other laws. But there just aren't a lot of people out there Uh, Very, very few people covering uh, the nuances. So, hats off to Isaiah for all of his excellent work on this.
0: Absolutely, and SB eight being the Heartbeat Act for those who aren't familiar.
3: Right, SB eight is the Heartbeat Act, and uh, of course, we have a much stronger law that's about to kick in, as Isaiah just went over. But the abortion clinics that I talked to, uh, many of them, ironically, did not have working numbers when I called. Some of them went to voicemail or didn't pick up, but all of the ones that answered the phone just hours after the announcement and Dobbs um, <clears throat> either said that they had stopped abortions pending a word from their legal departments or that they had stopped abortions altogether because of the Roe versus Wade ruling. And the phrasing of some of the abortion clinics that I talked to was interesting. Some of them were... Very emphatic and said that they, one clinic responded that they had closed the doors, that it was no longer an op, the clinic was no longer in operation. Uh, One clinic worker, uh, I believe in Houston, elaborated that they had not only stopped uh, performing uh, abortion procedures, but that they had also stopped dispensing abortion causing medication. And again, this was just within hours of the news that if not within the hour of the news that the decision in row had been reversed and virtually, and there weren't that many abortion clinics in Texas to start with. So the, the handful that we spoke to had shut down and the ones that didn't answer uh, presumably had either shut down or were in the process of shutting down. And then of course, uh, Planned Parenthood of Texas came out with a statement later that day saying they had stopped the procedure so, of course, there's a ruling in Harris County. I'm not too familiar with that. I'm sure Isaiah could speak to that more than me. But as far as in the immediate aftermath of the reversal of Roe being announced, abortion pretty much stopped in the state of Texas uh, as far as illegal abortion goes.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Isaiah, real fast, will you give us a quick couple sentence update on the Harris County situation?
1: Yeah. So, um there are several abortion facilities that join together in a lawsuit against the district attorneys of several major Texas counties and uh, some state agencies that license and regulate the abortion industry. And they nabbed a temporary restraining order that prevents enforcing the older unrepealed pre-1973 abortion ban against them in those counties. And so that's Bear, Travis, Harris, and, and so forth, um, and some others. Uh, I've listed them in the article. Some of those DAs had already said previously that they wouldn't enforce, uh, they wouldn't prosecute abortion crimes. Um, so not really a big change in those particular counties, but there were some others that have, that had district attorneys like in Harris County, for example, where that wasn't the case. And so that, that is, that is new for those counties, but um, it only applies to those facilities in those counties. Some of the note uh, Washington Post did not observe that in one article, but um, so it so it is narrow, and uh, Attorney General Ken said that he's going to appeal it. So it's an ongoing lawsuit. But,
0: Got it. And TROs, yeah. yeah, as its name uh, so succinctly states, is very temporary, right? I mean, that can be something that is uh, uh, wiped away pretty quickly, depending on what kind of legal challenge it's facing. Um, awesome. So, Hayden, what was the basis when you're talking to these abortion clinics for stopping these abortions immediately?
3: Well, the Planned Parenthood clinic that I talked to said that it was to protect their patients and staff. I presume that means to protect them from prosecution, because as Isaiah just went over, uh, there are um, going to be laws on the books that prohibit abortion, and there will be steps taken legally that could result in people being prosecuted, and prosecutors can probably be creative now with some of the, the tacts that they'll take because there were laws on the book before on the books before the Roe decision that now come back. A lot of people have been calling those zombie laws. I know that there was I say people primarily opponents of pro-life laws are calling them zombie laws. There was one statute in Michigan from the early 30s that suddenly took effect the other day because of the Roe reversal. But of course, these clinics don't want their staff to be prosecuted and potentially face criminal penalties for, for performing abortions. But the people I spoke to did not go into a lot of detail. Some of them directed me to their media departments. But the Planned Parenthood clinic that I spoke with was a little bit more articulate. Uh, she seemed to be reading from a statement that she was given um, and that's an assumption on my part, but it seemed to be a pre- prepared remarks that uh, were given to employees in case someone asked, and the emphasis was on protecting the patients and staff. But uh, legally, things are uncertain right now. I'm sure as the, the days pass with this post-Roe legal atmosphere, uh, things will be a little bit more well-defined. But for the time being, it seems abortion clinics are playing it safe.
0: Got it. Hayden, thank you for that. Isaiah, we're going to come back to you. We just talked a little bit about this TRO, this temporary restraining order, protecting abortions in certain counties. What were the general arguments on both sides in this case?
1: So, uh, like we alluded to earlier, this concerns whether or not these these pre-row laws were impliedly repealed. And uh, and so on one side, uh, you've got the plaintiffs who are several abortion facilities that say, um, despite the Texas legislature never expressly repealing this 1925 abortion ban, it was impliedly repealed because it was put in a different spot. It wasn't the penal code; and they put it over in the civil code. It wasn't on even on the Texas statutes website until June 24th, when the Dobbs opinion got released. Um, it was just it was hard to find, and it, it had gone into force And uh, probably their strongest point is that um, there was another court case that went to the Fifth Circuit in 2005. Uh, by Norma McCorvey, who, whom history students recognize as Jane Roe from the original Jane Roe case. Oh wow! Um, at that point in her life, uh, she was joining pro life efforts, and, and this was a lawsuit uh, that was seeking to get the Supreme Court to reconsider Roe v. Wade. It didn't work uh, at the at the Fifth Circuit. Uh, that court ruled or found that Texas had impliedly repealed the pre, the pre Roe bans. So that's probably their strongest point. Um, on the side of the abortion facilities, on the other side, um, we've got the state of Texas and uh, all these DAs that I mentioned. And the state's general argument is that um, that Fifth Circuit finding that the law was impliedly repealed in two thousand, like that they found in two thousand and five, is superseded by the fact that in the Heartbeat Act and the Trigger Ban, the text of both of those bills expressly say that the legislature has never repealed. The pre-roll ban. So, those are kind of the arguments of both sides. It's it's all concerning whether or not um, this law is on the books. You can find it on the website now. I, I actually learned that from this case because um, previously, when I've referenced in these articles, I've just had to go to this one huge document <laughs> that has like all of Vernon's Civil Statutes from 1973, and you've got to scroll way down to uh, chapter six and a half section or article like 45 something anyway uh so now it's on the website with one handy link but if you go there um you will see that this like little proviso note on the website that says this was found to have been impliedly repealed by a 2005 court ruling so a little tricky there's some, it's in dispute, but like, like I said, Paxton's appealing, so it's not final yet.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you, Isaiah. Bradley, we're going to come to you shortly after this ruling came down An appeal went out, um, to local democratic officials from the state party itself. Tell us about that.
2: Yeah. So the, the state party leadership, um, including Gilberto Hinojosa, um, the state party chair, appealed to local officials and basically asked them not to enforce uh the state law on these um, on abortion any of them specifically mentions the I think the pre-row statutes um but also the trigger ban and SB8 which SB8 I don't believe is the DAs are tasked with enforcing that anyway that's the civil they, action they can't enforce civil yeah. cause of action yeah so they would have nothing to do with that anyway but um, he appealed to the local officials basically to uh, not prosecute people for these. And he said, no matter what the United States Supreme court says, abortion is valid, safe, and important healthcare procedure that should never be restricted by any power or authority. And as Isaiah mentioned before, overturning Roe gave the question back to the States. So you're going to see a patchwork of policies among which Texas has more restrictive than say California or New York. And um, this is the the Democrats play in response to the ruling and what Texas Republicans have passed.
0: How did some of these officials respond?
2: So five democratic district attorneys had already committed to not enforcing any of these laws. They are uh, Jose Garza of Travis County, John Crusoe of Dallas County, Joe Gonzalez of Bayer, Mark Gonzalez of Nueces and Brian Middleton of Fort Bend. And so they, they had signed, I think I say I wrote a piece on this m- months ago or however long. Yeah. Uh, sometime this year say, uh, of them along with many other DAs across the country saying, we're not going to do this. So they just, after row, after the, the, the Dobbs decision came out, they kind of, uh, put their, to reemphasize this position of their, their own again. Um, Harris County DA Kim Ogg did not jump to that kind of conclusion, though she did disagree with the decision of Dobbs and said that her office will be evaluating their options. And then, markedly different from all of those was Tarrant County. D.A. Sharon Wilson, a Republican, who said, we do not choose which laws we follow. My oath and that of everyone in my office is to preserve, protect and defend the Constitution and the laws of the United States and Texas. Prosecutors do not make the law. We follow it. We followed Roe v. Wade when it was the law and we will follow Texas state law now. Um, That's a different outlook from these uh, Democrat DAs who have in their justification pointed to um, broad appeals to justice, which they see uh, abortion restrictions violating. So uh, that's the dynamic we have. We'll probably see many a court case have to do with with this specifically.
0: Absolutely. Well, Brad, thank you. And gentlemen, thank you all for covering this Um as there's just so much on this story, particularly that it took a team effort. So thank you guys for this, Isaiah. We're going to talk about one more um, row story before we move on to other topics. Tell us about this proposal from lawmakers here in Texas to ban abortion-inducing drugs by um, these specific lawmakers.
1: Yeah, Brian Harrison and Tom Oliverson in the State House have both uh, they issued a joint press release promising to file a bill that would explicitly ban fashion drugs in Texas. Uh, like we mentioned, these are already currently criminalized under Texas law, under the pre ban, and under the trigger ban, that that hasn't taken effect yet. Um, but they say that um, that's, the, that's their general proposal, is that uh, they want to have legislation that particularly targets those drugs, so.
0: Got it, so if these are already banned, what would be the point of the new law?
1: Um, in their words, The Biden administration's efforts to, or signaling of efforts Mm -hmm. to increase abortion access, uh, regardless of state law, is what prompted uh, this idea on their part. And they both got kind of um, particular backgrounds that that kind of color this idea. So Brian Harrison uh, was the chief of staff for the Health and Human Services Department under uh, former President Donald Trump. And Tom Oliverson is a medical doctor who um, has some kind of a leading position on a nationwide association of, of Christian lawmakers. Um, so those kind of inform this idea. I asked them if they had any particulars on enforcement methods for now. And Harrison said they, that they don't really have the, the, they don't have the text of the bill finalized at this point. The legislature's not going to convene for a little while longer. But he says that they're probably going to go at it by the licensing route. So uh, pharmacology pharmacy, um, and doctors, you know, the state licenses, all of those jobs and, and those medical fields and, uh, Harrison thinks that that'd be a very simple, would be very simple legislation to just have that be the enforcement method. So once again, um, they're applying the same exceptions that already exist in other Texas abortion laws. They emphasize that there would be an exception to, for any procedure meant to save the life of the mother. Um, or any procedure that would not result in fetal demise and no penalty uh, would be levied against the mother. So
0: got it. Well, Isaiah, thank you. And again, thank you for all your coverage of this issue. Let's move on to some other stories. Hayden, talk to us about, this is very spicy. I will not lie. This was a very spicy story. Talk to us about who is Frederick Frazier and why are these charges against him that we found out about significant?
3: Anytime you see a candidate in a booking photo, it's definitely a spicy story. (laughs) But this is a North Texas story in Collin County. The Republican nominee for Texas House District 61 was indicted by a Collin County grand jury on two charges of impersonating a public servant. He, one in HD sixty one in a runoff, he defeated Paul Shabbat with sixty-four percent of the vote. And this is a heavily Republican district. It is a, I believe, an, a fifty-eight percent lean Republican on the Texans Texas Partisan Index. So the Republican nominee in a GOP district is now facing criminal charges.
0: So what charges are he facing? What or is he facing and how much prison time are we talking about here?
3: You know, I have this bad habit of answering the question that I wrote down for, uh, for you to ask second. So I, I already <laughs> jumped the gun on myself, but yeah, it's two um, two charges of impersonating a public servant. Um, he was booked in the Richardson jail on Friday afternoon and bonded out. When I say Friday, that would be the the one week prior to this episode being produced. We spoke to the Richardson Police Department, and he they indicated that he was booked on two uh, Collin County warrants, both for imp- impersonating public servants. But he turned himself in and then bonded out. The reason this these charges are interesting is they arise from an allegation by Shabbat that he went to a Walmart and manipulated a an employee there into believing that they had placed Frasier or Shabbat's campaign signs illegally. And Shabbat also accused Frazier reportedly of stealing his campaign materials, which Shabbat has done in previous campaigns in the past. He's made allegations similar to that. And um, what's important to highlight, though, for this is a comment was made by Shabbat's team that a grand jury had found Frazier committed felonies, which is not true. They decided that there was enough evidence in this case to proceed to trial, which is the nature of grand jury proceedings. I don't know this for sure. I'm not an attorney, but I believe in some states they even skip this step and they have probable cause hearings where a judge determines there's probable cause to proceed to trial and defendants are bound over to for further proceedings. So this is an initial phase in the process. This is not a final vindication of Shabbat's allegations. It is merely the grand jury saying that there is a preponderance of the evidence for Frazier to be Put on trial or for there to be further proceedings on this indictment. The case was investigated by the Texas Rangers and other law enforcement agencies, but if I understand correctly, there were outside prosecutors and agencies brought in because Frazier is well-connected in the law enforcement community in North Texas. He was a Dallas police officer. He was on the Marshall Fugitive Task Force, but is currently on administrative leave because of the indictment against him. I was able to reach the voicemail of Bill Worski, who is Collin County's first assistant DA. He is a high-profile prosecutor in the Dallas area. He he has prosecuted some serious criminals. He has secured death sentences against a lot of people. He was uh, not... He did not get back to us by the time of publication, but he's involved in this, which is an interesting nexus for a law enforcement officer and a political candidate charged with a crime. Impersonating a public servant is an F3, so he could face up to 10 years in prison and a fine of up to $10,000 if he is convicted, but he'll still be on the ballot, and his Democratic opponent is Sheena King, no doubt she will make an issue of these allegations. She still has an uphill battle, though, in a district that leans Republican.
0: Certainly. Do we know what kind of uh, you know, official this person or basically what position that Frazier was impersonating?
3: He is accused of impersonating a code compliance officer. And that is interesting because a code compliance officer is subordinate to Frazier's position. I may not have stated that correctly, but Frazier's position in Dallas PD is a much higher, more important position than a code enforcement employee for the city of McKinney or Collin County. I'm not sure which jurisdiction the alleged alleged sign stealing took place in, but that's one of the arguments that Frazier's team is making is it's, it's absurd to say that someone would impersonate an officer with less authority that an officer would impersonate an officer with less authority. Yeah. Of course, that's just an argument they're making. It it could be that Frazier did steal signs and he did deface all this property and he did try to illegitimately get somebody's campaign materials taken down or Shabbat who was trounced in the Republican runoff could be contriving this out of resentment for having lost a primary. Either one of those are real possibilities, but that will be for a jury to decide.
0: Absolutely. And like you said, any sort of grand jury involvement, yes, I think folks get a little ahead of themselves in terms of what it means. So we'll see what happens here and we'll keep an eye out. Hayden, thank you for distilling that down to understandable terms for us. Bradley, after a couple of weeks of back and forth, state officials announced their slate of school safety expenditures. Talk to us about that announcement.
2: So they've identified over $100 million in expenditures to be immediately approved through the budget execution process. The way that works is the legislative budget board, uh, in supposed to be for emergency circumstances can take appropriations from somewhere in the budget and move it elsewhere. Uh, that way the legislature doesn't have to convene to, uh, pass an appropriation. So it's not new money that they're putting there. Um, now this specific money is coming from uh, a surplus in It's uh, in the recap, the school recapture fund, known as Robin Hood, where they take uh, tax money, property tax money from wealthier districts and distribute it to poorer districts. Uh, So that's where this money is coming from, uh, according to the state officials. Um, But it's not a new appropriation. So among these is $50 million for bulletproof shields for school law enforcement. Now, this was something that Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick came out hard for. And he um, uh, at first had a little bit of pushback from Dade Phelan, only pushback on the call for immediate approval. Um, Now, pretty quickly, Phelan issued his support for that along with a litany of other th- of other items some of which are included in this final list also included in this is 17.5 million dollars for schools to install uh silent panic alert systems and then another notable one is 10 million dollars for law enforcement rapid response trainings and associated travel expenses both of those were in Feelins uh kind of list of, of items that he wanted to approve. Uh, additionally, not specifically related, kind of separate from this broader statewide uh, list of expenditures, they approved $5 million for mental health services, specifically for Uvalde after the tragedy that occurred there last month.
0: Which is what all of this is in response to, basically. Yes,
2: absolutely. Uh, An official said that more will be done when the legislature reconvenes next year. Uh, I think we talked about that last week, Um, especially we will undoubtedly see something on the governor's list of emergency items that the legislature will likely take up as soon as it possibly can. Uh, But these are just kind of an initial response and we'll see where they go from there.
0: Absolutely. Thank you, Bradley. Hayden, another absolutely crazy and tragic story. Um, Talk to us about the human smuggling tragedy that happened in San Antonio this week.
3: Yes, Uh Fortunately, we've had a lot of stories with high body counts lately. In San Antonio, a an eighteen wheeler or a tractor trailer, depending on which part of the country you come from, <laughs> you know, there are a lot of different terms for an eighteen wheeler. But uh, there were uh, more than fifty individuals found dead in a tractor trailer, and. Immediately, it was reported that 16 survivors had been taken to hospitals, but several of them died at the hospital. The fire chief, Charles Hood, reported on scene that the survivors were hot to the touch and suffering from heat exhaustion and dehydration. The truck was a refrigerated truck, but it did not have a working refrigeration unit attached to it. So they had no AC, no water, which is a death sentence in this in Texas in the summer, the the truck was full of corpses and they came about this vehicle because someone had heard cries for help and in the office complex near where the rig was found. And this witness went over to the vehicle, opened the back or and peeked in the back and made the, the grim discovery of all those deceased people. Yeah. This was a human smuggling occurrence, as far as authorities know, at this time. And it was turned over to Homeland Security investigation, obviously, because this has a federal connection related to immigration laws. But the city of San Antonio primarily provided medical support and the fire department. There were images of a mobile morgue going to the scene. And that was the city of San Antonio's role. I'll close out this subject by pointing out a really an interesting question asked by a reporter that was seemingly putting it on the city of San Antonio to stop human smuggling. And the mayor pointed out that this is a problem that goes well beyond San Antonio, even Texas. The mayor replied Words to the effect of, that's asking us to solve the migration crisis in North America. A lot of people would call it a, an illegal immigration crisis and a human smuggling crisis. But Mayor Nuremberg said, all we can do is what we can do to help in tragedies like this. And it's not for the city to be able to provide the answer to solve the human smuggling crisis and San Antonio being a city in proximity to the border is unfortunately going to see potentially more of these instances of uh, tragic human smuggling deaths than other parts of the country. But the feds are investigating this and there will likely be more details down the road.
0: Well, and that's the hard part is there is, is initially when the story broke, there was just so little information out um, from law enforcement and reporters trying to make sure that they uh, were the first out with with the news and had, um, you know, were the first to the punch. And um, there's still so much we don't know about this. And of course, the implications just based on the information we had were that uh, this had to do with human smuggling. It turns out that was the case. Um, but we'll continue to watch. And even just the thought of uh 60 some odd people in the back of an 18 wheeler is just a shocking uh reality um for these human smuggling operations so Hayden thank you for again um uh dealing with and explaining very tragic uh, stories here in Texas um let's talk again about the border where does the lawsuit against title 42 stand
3: Anyone who has listened to this podcast uh, has heard me talk about Title Forty Two a lot because it is the basis for many of the expulsions of illegal aliens. In May, it was the basis for forty two percent of them. The lawsuit is pending in Louisiana, and lawyers are still quibbling back and forth over the scope of the lawsuit. There were motions to limit the scope of Judge Robert Summerhayes' decision so that it was not nationwide. That motion, I believe, was denied, and Judge Summer Hayes is also admitting lawyers from other jurisdictions because there are many parties other than the plaintiffs that originally sued and the defendants, which primarily are Biden and his immigration subordinates. So the lawsuit is still pending, but Title 42 Deportations continue because of the preliminary injunction that Judge Summer Hayes instituted requiring the feds to continue the policy while litigation proceeds and while the appeal to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals of his preliminary injunction is considered.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Very fascinating to watch this go back and forth. And, um, I mean, this was a Trump era, uh, health code policy that basically was enacted by the president at that time in order to stop some of this, um, illegal immigration at the border, specifically due to concerns over um, contracting disease, contracting COVID-19, and um, has even after the pandemic has largely subsided, Republicans very much wanted to have this remain in place, and Democrats were um, very anxious to uh, rescind that instance. So Hayden, you've covered this from the get-go. Thank you for continuing to follow that for us. Bradley, um, you know, Biden and Abbott have really sparred on many issues, the border being one of them. But another front um, would be energy. This has been a big conversation, particularly this summer is. Um, well, a lot has happened. Let's let's talk about what happened this week on that front.
2: Yeah, certainly as, as gas prices, the uh, gas prices jump in which are the most easily recognizable uh, example of energy problems for the average consumer. Um, This is, this issue is becoming even more important, but uh, I think it was late last week. uh, An EPA rule was announced that would reclassify certain portions of the Permian basin under the clean air act, a move that would apply stricter regulations specifically on emissions type stuff. Uh, It's all very complicated and, Uh, Hard to understand how, but this is something that Abbott, um, the oil and gas industry themselves are opposing uh, because any regulations require additional costs to comply with them. And that makes it harder to produce the energy they want to. So Abbott said in the letter, this action alone might serve as a catalyst for economic harm, leading to an even deeper reliance on imported foreign energy and a faster economic decline into the pending recession by forcing even more pain for American consumers to pay at the pump. There's, it is the pump theme. Um, I wrote a piece about a week or two ago about how that is going to be that and inflation are going to be central issues for especially Democrats as they try and avoid an economic or not an electoral wave by Republicans. Um, and it's going to continue to be so Democrats. Meanwhile, they say that these kinds of things are important to cut down on emissions uh, specifically citing uh, combating climate change and, and whatnot. So you uh, you have, Two different competing interests uh, at loggerheads there. Um, But this specific example is a part of a broader trend of uncertainty within the oil and gas industry due largely to either direct or indirect consequences of federal policy. Uh, I spell this all out in a lot more detail in a piece. I recommend you go read it. But those. Conce- those direct or indirect co- consequences are uh, both the the White House uh, White House's uh, policy positions on thermal energy, whether specifically oil and gas. This EPA regulation would be an example of that, um, or indirect examples such as the government's re- uh, reaction to COVID, which they printed a lot of money that caused inflation. Uh, or at least sped it up quite a bit. Um, But also the supply chain woes that we've seen come from that, both the pandemic itself from everyone's just natural reaction to it or the government reactions, whether it was the shutdowns, they have caused a lot of, a lot of problems. Um, And I, I provide some statements from uh, oil and gas executives in, from a Dallas fed survey that they took. Um but a lot of it there's the constant theme and it's um that's the federal the white house especially policy position on oil and gas is dissuading them from investing uh thoroughly in uh in future operations and we'll see how how this affects it down the road um one thing that the dallas fed survey mentioned was how they uh they expect these supply chain woes to last more than a year and many of them did. Um, so that kind of, uh, that would suggest that we we're going to have, see these high gas prices for quite a while especially if we slip into a recession
0: absolutely so real fast um, the supreme court issued its final opinions of the term on thursday you're kind of parsing through them all right now as we're going and podcasting you're tweeting about all all sorts of information particularly about one that has to do with energy give us a brief overview of that decision
2: so in short the court struck down a previous epa regulation that has since been rescinded uh that essentially targeted, uh, coal power plant generation, uh, to try and transition the nation towards more renewable energy sources. And they struck it down because the clean air act, which the EPA used to justify its broad regulation on this. Uh, they said that that did not, Congress did not grant them that authority, in the clean air act, which was passed in 1970 and amended in 1990, nothing uh, in that the court ruled uh, nothing Congress has done gave the EPA the authority to regulate carbon emissions for power plants. And so it has a lot of implication for the EPA regulation going forward broadly, uh, how much the EPA can uh, direct what energy companies do um, on the left, they're very worried about that because they want this broad authority with the EPA because Congress moves so slowly um, and on the right, in among the oil and gas industry, uh, especially for coal, which is kind of on on a lifeline here. Um, they uh, they think that they see this as a good step in the right direction, although they probably would have preferred even more robust uh, striking down of the of EPA's authority. Um, but regardless, right now, the Democrats could uh, absolve the court's issues with this if they pass a directive to the EPA to do this. And they control both houses of Congress and the White House at the moment. And that's all that would be needed. Now, there's a reason it hasn't been done. It's unpopular, especially in a state like West Virginia, in which Joe Manchin is basically the swing vote in the U.S. Senate right now. So that would be more difficult than at first glance but um all of a piece about it and more at how it may affect the Texas power grid um on on friday when this goes up um or even today if thursday but regardless uh give it a read there uh to hear more to see more of the reasoning behind this and how it'll affect texas
0: very good well bradley thank you let's jump into um some tweetery this week gentlemen isaiah we're going to come right to you since it's been a while since you 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 headed off our podcast with a bunch of things and then we just yes. didn't hear from you for a while so i figured we'd go to you first what did you find this week on Tweetor?
1: uh I, I picked this knowing full well that it's not really that ripe for discussion since it's just <laughs> me that uh, just being in awe of this young picture of Malcolm Young from ACDC.
0: Oh my, is this the one you replied to?
1: This is the one I replied to, but I also looked I looked around a little bit more. I I, I like ACDC. Uh, Malcolm Young is one of the greatest rhythm guitarists ever. And another great one is Dave Mustaine from Megadeth. And I looked up like just before this podcast and uh, I thought like, Oh, it'd be cool if they like ever played together. And it turns out that Megadeth opened for them at one show and they've got like one picture where they're both together. And I thought, Oh, that's pretty cool. But that's, that's literally it. Uh, my <laughs> other alternative was,
0: I would like to read your reply to this tweet. <clears throat> okay. So there's this picture, Malcolm Young. It's awesome isaiah mitchell and i have tweet alerts on for all the reporters so i I get a tweet alert for isaiah
1: your replies yeah oh yeah isn't that
0: crazy Mm -hmm. um and this is what his his reply unquestionably one of the best rhythm guitarists in rock i believe that's a Gretsch g6131 is that how you say that you just read the numbers
3: yeah i guess yeah
0: (laughs) which would mean the only knob he hasn't cracked off is the standby kill switch pickup selector hanging by a thread I like to imagine the two volume knobs got snapped getting turned to 11. I don't understand anything.
2: The only thing I understand in that is the spinal tap reference, which was stellar. Thank you. I thought you liked that. Yes. But he's got, um, if you look at his guitar,
1: there's a bunch of knobs that are not there anymore. Oh, that's, <laughs> tr- oh, that's true. To be there. I see that. Um, and so the one that remains is just one that turns the sound on or off on the bottom there. And the one appears to be, like, dangling on the top corner. Um, but, like, the actual volume knobs themselves are, th- those are just gone. <laughs> um, so he's also famous for, like, standing right in front of their huge the Great Wall of China martial Lamp stack. Um, so he probably can't hear very well right now. Bolstering my theory that he twisted them off turning them up to 11
0: (laughs) very good okay well i interrupted you before you're about to go on to your next tweet what do you got
1: oh i mean we already did i I eliminated this one because already discussed it um just uh the thread that i mentioned earlier includes screenshots and direct links to all the laws oh yeah that have total abortion bans so um just just reiterating i mean miscarriages and ectopic pregnancies and the treatments for those conditions are not criminalized anywhere in this country unless, uh, I mean, I, I only looked at the laws of states that, that ban abortion. I guess it's possible that California under our noses all along yeah. has uh, criminalized ectopic pregnancies, but I, I doubt that's the case. So, uh, the threat is just includes, um, all the states based on CNN and elsewhere that, that say these states have banned abortion one way or another. And I, I just went to the sections of their bans. um, i won't to want you to do a whole rant about media explainers saying like, here's what's, you know, anyway, just look say, at the well, laws. <laughs> like, just, yeah.
2: Are you saying that famous actress Halle Berry is spreading misinformation about uh, ectopic pregnancies and, and miscarriages? Dude. On <laughs> I, I've never, I never want to accuse
1: people of spreading misinformation, but I don't know. I don't know what else to say. Like, it's just,
2: it's just a straight up lie, but hey, like, she got all those retweets. Yeah. So, That's the important thing. Yeah.
0: Farming for retweets. We get it. Yeah. We totally get it. Isaiah
2: knows that full well. (laughs) I do.
0: (laughs) Isaiah will go into our Slack and paste a link to a tweet of his and just say, groveling Because one time
1: Brad accused me, I did that. The first time I did that, Brad commented, <laughs> said like, "Oh, Isaiah groveling for retweets, like, like a true journo," <laughs> and I was hurt by that. And so this is kind of a memento mori to myself. <laughs> Clearly <laughs> stuck with you,
0: yeah. <laughs> oh yes, my gosh, I'm, I'm groveling. <laughs> well, and Brad, you were talking about you know the control Democrats have on the um, national level right now, if they wanted to. There is certainly an opening for some sort of federal abortion um, uh, law that could be done. Mm -hmm. I mean, even I think it was Pew came out with a with a poll that said sixty percent, 61, sixty one, sixty two percent of Americans um, were against the overturning of Roe or okay with abortion. I, I let me let me look this up. Uh, or say abortion should be legal. Yes, abortion, should, 61, a majority of U.S. adults say abortion should be legal in all or most cases. And then 37 percent think abortion should be illegal in all or most cases. Um, I mean, so this is an incredible uh, op- opinion, even from that perspective. Mm-hmm. Right. And just shows the isolation of the court in so many ways um, from public opinion. Right. I mean, this is the interpretation of law there is a reason that the three branches of government are in that way set up. Mm-hmm. And um, but now at the federal level, both houses of Congress could foreseeably do something yeah. right.
2: I um, think the, the hurdle they'd have to jump is the uh, filibuster though in the Senate and Joe Biden came out today or maybe it was yesterday and said that he would support eliminating the filibuster to uh codify, quote codify Roe v. Wade. But let's be clear about what the court did here. They, they, left the question of abortion to the States. That's democratic. That's giving the question to the, de- the process of democracy, you know? Right. Um,
0: well, even codifying Roe v. Wade, that phrase is being thrown around a lot.
2: Right. I'm not sure really what that
1: means. I, no,
0: but no, no one does. You don't, that's the hard part is. Yeah. I like, mean,
1: it's Roe v. Wade, like a lot of other vague top. It's, I mean, Roe v. Wade itself as a decision is concrete, but, I mean, it's something you hear about and it just becomes a vague symbol to people of like, you know, it's a mold that you you fill with whatever you like for the most part. I feel like the most specific they could get is saying that, you know, states can't regulate abortion before viability since that's what Roe said. But um, anyway, a lot of people just see Roe as having conferred this uh, as like supporting um, a right to abortion up to the point of birth. Which is not at all the case in Roe, um, and all of this is irrelevant now that Roe's over overturned. I mean, the only the only argument that abortion was a right was from Roe, mm-hmm. and the Supreme Court just said that that was a legitimate decision. So, yeah, if the Supreme Court was the one that said it's a right, and the Supreme Court stops having that position, what makes it a right? I mean, right. it's it's not in the Constitution. Well, so. that's
0: the that's the crazy part is you see a lot of this argument, and this is um, just being talked about. At large, both by lawmakers and Twitter talking heads, is the constitutionality of something along these lines. Is like, okay, we're talking a lot about guns and women and who has more rights, and the right to keep and bear arms is in the Constitution, plainly, they, plainly in its own, <laughs> like it's its, it's own amendment. You know, it's dedicated just to that, whereas abortion is not mentioned. In the Constitution, and that is uh, again, that is what the left hates: is that it is not in the Constitution and not held as a right. But hey, there's a process for that. But there is a process (laughs) for that, and the court is going based on what is written, what is precedent, and um, anyway.
1: You should read the the Dobbs opinion because a lot of concerns like the the court allows for. I mean, the Constitution says, "Oh, there are rights that the Constitution isn't listing." And so the way that the court's governing test to determine whether or not something is a right that's not enumerated is generally, you know, has this appeared? Does this like jive the legal tradition of American history? And so they go through the common law going back to like 13th century England and find that, you know, in in most cases, well, in no case was abortion ever considered a legal right or a natural right. And in many cases, sometimes most, depending on which, you know, century you're looking at, it was criminalized. So it's not if it's not in the common law and it's not the Constitution, it's not in the history of America's law. What what makes it a legal right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It was the
1: Supreme Court. And now that's not the case. So what's left? I mean,
0: and if the argument is that it should be, if that's the left's argument, whereas the right says, absolutely not. It's the life of an unborn child. Then let's go through the channels that are in place to make that happen right i mean there are methods by which you can get that in the constitution is it difficult absolutely that was and that was intentional on the founders mm. part but there is a method by which you can make this codified
2: what well, kind in of that like, actual way kind of like the epa stuff absolutely it's difficult and so people don't want to do the work to go through the difficult channel they want to find an end around to get what they want and this happens in every political circle you know so um it's just another another dot along a trend line that we've seen (laughs) well maybe that convention of states group will show up at the democratic
1: convention now i mean they might find some new support there (laughs) exactly Uh,
0: (laughs) cos at democrats say convention okay well we have literally only been on one of these uh these twitter uh these tweetery sections. So Hayden, we're going to go to you. What did you find on Twitter this week that uh, caught your eye?
3: Well, mine is about the same thing. So sorry to burst everyone's bubble. Well, Hey, it's the biggest
0: news in a very long time. So we, it's, it's kind of going to be an an expectation that that the podcast is saturated with this. I feel like.
3: Well, mine is not very sophisticated. It's just onion headline, the onion headlines. Um, but some of these cracked me up because it really captures how uncomfortable the left is with this ruling. Uh, but there was one, there were several here. I'll, I'll read some of the uh, less inappropriate ones, but it said Supreme Court votes five to four to baptize the Constitution. Supreme Court votes five to four to drive slowly alongside woman walking home alone at night um supreme court rules five to four to add jesus into all paintings so some of those uh, <laughs> cracked me up because it it captures um how upset a lot of people are with this and that it was a five to four decision so not necessarily unanimous yeah or not not unanimous but not, not a lot
0: resounding in terms of even yeah it's a little different that's the Youngin the and the Babylon Bee always providing some entertainment with some satire. Thank you, Hayden. Bradley, what do you got?
2: I have um, something relating to the Texas GOP convention that we covered. Old news length. now. I know, after right? After oh my gosh. But it's interesting because um, someone said the quiet part out loud. And uh, Really good example of honesty. Uh, Congressman Dan Crenshaw was asked by the Dispatch in a piece about the Texas GOP platform, specifically asked to comment on the platform, and he said, "I literally don't pay attention to it," <laughs> and that is something that is a position that a lot of Republican elected officials hold. You know, whether it's writ large or to certain parts of it um you know there's almost 300 actually no now there are more than 300 i believe uh one of the two a lot at least a couple hundred planks in this that's a lot of policy items and so uh not every elected official is going to care to the hilt about every platform plank but um you know, you see varying degrees of, of commitment to the Texas GOP, GOP platform from their elected officials, and some of them are really, really committed to everything. Some are lukewarm. Some are opposed basically everything. So it's just interesting to see an elected, especially of such prominence of, of Crenshaw. He's a, he's a very large national profile. Come out and say that. Um, Oh, my gosh. It's huge. Yeah.
0: Well, he's faced so much criticism, even in terms of vaccine mandates, red flag laws. Like there have been a litany of conservative issues that are very important to Republican primary voters that he has been. uh, I don't even know how to say it, like open to talking about, whereas other Republicans are not at all. And even open to entertaining some proposals from folks who are far more moderate or um, even liberal or on the Democrat side than a lot of Republican primary voters would appreciate causes a lot of dissension and Mm -hmm. he's faced incredible criticism. His primary challenge was very unsuccessful. Um, and he still faces uh, or still has a lot of support even from the, these primary voters. But in terms of the delegates themselves, it's not like he hasn't faced criticism and he's openly, um, almost throwing this back in their face here.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's a bold strategy cotton.
0: Yeah. (laughs) We'll see what
2: works out for him. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Um, Absolutely. Well, um, for mine this week, I want to, uh, kind of harken back to a, uh, a tweet that kind of went viral for us. So Elon Musk, a couple of weeks ago, replied to a tweet of ours saying that he oh, would, yeah. uh, support, uh, Ron DeSantis for president, which was big news. A lot of folks are talking about it. Interestingly enough, this week on Joe Rogan's podcast, another new Austinite, um, Gina Carano, who we've written about before because <laughs> of some crazy stuff that happened, uh, with her and uh, just the filmmaking industry. Um, in a podcast with with her, Rogan basically said that he would support DeSantis after Carano asked him, well, didn't Elon come out in support of um, uh, DeSantis? And, and Rogan said, yeah, and I would support him too. He said something for him being very pro-freedom, something along those lines. So that's fascinating to watch and I wanted to at the same time talk about your back mic Brad which comes out on Friday morning it'll be out when this podcast is out um but the and going back to the GOP delegates here at convention there was a straw poll taken at the convention which show that DeSantis has incredible support from the thousands of delegates the most involved Republicans in the state um so there were kind of two versions of this poll and Brad jump in and help me out here if I'm uh, misconstrue anything. Um, But there one version included uh, former president Donald Trump and the other did not. Mm -hmm. And without Trump, DeSantis got 71% support in a field of like nine, 10, something along those lines. Governor Abbott got 1% support from the delegates.
2: Now keep in mind, these are the delegates. This is not primary voters, but there was polling done. uh, I think in the, in the runoff time, that uh, polled actual likely primary voters, Republicans, uh, not just this tiny subset of them, uh, of the delegates. And while the percentages changed some, like Abbott got nearly double digits, I think, or he may have gotten like 10 percent. Uh, DeSantis was still far and away the biggest vote yeah. getter or support getter um, in Texas. And I think it, if I remember correctly... DeSantis was at like 56%, which is a larger percentage. It's
0: mean, over oh, 51%. That's yeah, crazy.
2: A larger percentage than Donald Trump got If he, was included. he was included in yeah. the field. DeSantis so, kind of split
0: Trump's support in that yeah. regard. Trump and still gets number one if he's in. Yeah. I mean, if, he, if if he's in, he's the number one vote getter right. or support getter, whatever. Right.
2: Um, but Texas's two officials that are kind of linked to this, Ted, Senator Ted Cruz and Governor Greg Abbott, um, are both not even close to DeSantis yeah. in either of these, either the delegates or the the polling we saw. So it's, it's odd.
0: Absolutely. Well, and to your point to kind of clarify what you mentioned earlier, just talking about this about, you know, talking about this being the delegates and not the primary voters, primary voters are already going to be the more conservative portion of the party, right? Mm-hmm. Republicans may go to the ballot in November who did not vote in the primary. And typically politically, they're a little bit less uh, conservative or for uh, more to the middle and less to the right is how I would probably cl- qualify that. So they're already the conservative base of the party. These Republican primary voters, the delegates themselves are going to be even more so, mm-hmm. right? I mean, these are, these are the, <laughs> the conservative of the conservative, the most involved. In the they're going to be yeah. the most, yeah, in the party. They're going to be the most anti-establishment, most likely um, in terms of a, a broad group of folks in Texas and the Republican party. These are going to be those folks. Yeah. So, unsurprising in some ways that governor Abbott would have so little support, but 1% is, yeah.
2: I mean, and, uh, an example of this dichotomy is, uh, we saw Senator Cornyn get booed pretty badly on stage by the delegates. Oh, over it was the, crazy the gun reform. The gun, but yeah, uh, so but, that same group
0: of people. Yeah. Yep.
2: But Cornyn won his primary in 2020, albeit before this gun bill occurred easily.
0: And the challenge he faced was entirely different from the challenge uh, other folks have faced in their primaries, even Governor Abbott. Right. But, um,
2: But the fact that he didn't even draw one. A
0: serious opponent. Now, he
2: probably would draw one now. Uh, if he were to be on the ballot this year, after this gun bill stuff, uh, he's not until twenty twenty six. Folks have said on
0: Twitter, there've been a lot of notable folks on yeah. Twitter who said that, even elected officials yep. in Texas who've said that.
2: Um, so he probably he, he, the the margin of victory he had in twenty would be cut into some, yeah. But that's you would have to that would be a drastic drastic change to knock him off in a primary, um, because he does he, he, every poll that that shows like approval ratings among texas voters um even among republicans for cornyn is uh at least to date is pretty good for him now that may change substantially after this gun bill stuff but um it's that just shows the divide between these delegates that you have yeah uh, who do run the party you know they, they're the ones that set the, these planks yeah and one of the top elected officials and that kind of you see that and the, the primary voters that, that support him. Yeah, so.
0: absolutely. And it is different in Texas is that, um you know, Ted Cruz, our other senator here in Texas, um, far more name ID than John Cornyn, even though Cornyn's been around a lot longer. And of course, that comes with the presidential bid and certain, um you know, positions that Cruz has taken over the years
2: in the high profile Beto challenge, yeah. you know,
0: but folks don't realize the influence Cornyn has on the Hill. I mean, he is in the, uh, the biggest uh, or the worst kept secret in D.C. is that he you know, there's some majority leader talk going on there in yeah. terms of cornyn right i mean that's been rumored for a long time i
2: mean he's the he's mcconnell's second in command right heir apparent yeah
0: so there's a lot going on there and when when uh, trump has a big <laughs> big bill or when uh, mcconnell needs something kind of pushed through i mean he was on at the forefront of a lot of those discussions and even if he's if even if his name is not as recognizable to texas republicans or even just texans He's very prominent and influential in D.C.
2: And that's why he was the leading Republican negotiating this gun bill in the Senate. Exactly. So
0: very notable. Well, we'll continue to watch. But that was interesting to me is that you have all this DeSantis talk stemming from a response to our tweet. And right as that all kind of uh, is comes to fruition and is talked about on the national level, the straw poll drops. And DeSantis has a lot of support among texan republicans here fascinating stuff well gentlemen thank you for diving into all of that we had a lot to talk about today folks thank you so much for listening and we will catch you next week thank you to everyone for listening if you enjoy our show rate and review us on apple podcasts spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts and if you want more of our stories, subscribe to The Texan at TheTexan.news. Follow us on social media for the latest in Texas politics and send any questions for our team to our mailbag by DMing us on Twitter or shooting an email to editor at TheTexan.news. We are funded entirely by readers and listeners like you, so thank you again for your support. Tune in next week for another episode of our weekly roundup. God bless you, and God bless Texas.